This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 457. Leadership is not yelling at you from two miles ahead. You don't have to be two miles ahead. What do you have to be? You have to be one step ahead. Better place, one step ahead, reaches back, grabs your hand and says, hey, watch out, this next step's tricky. That's leadership. We think we have to be so advanced. We have to have read 5,000 books and had 5,000, 10,000 hours of practice to be a leader. We don't. Hi, I'm Jeff Brown. Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. So glad you're here. This is the podcast. It's dedicated to your personal and professional growth. I think reading is pretty important. In fact, I think if you want to achieve true success in your business and in your life, that intentional and consistent reading is a must. That's step one. Step two is taking what you learned, of course, and putting it into action. That's what we talk about in my note-making mastery cohort over at jeffbrown.me. Be sure and check that out. That's jeffbrown.me for note-making mastery. Would love to have you in our next cohort. The Read to Lead podcast is designed to not only help you narrow your reading list, but help bring the key insights and main ideas from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors and their awesome books. Today's awesome author is someone who I can call a friend. His name is Matt McWilliams, and his brand new book is called Turn Your Passions into Profits, The Proven Path for a Rewarding Online Business. I'll be asking Matt to share about how to clarify who you help and deciding who you want that to be. That's right. You can decide who that is at the outset, in case you didn't know that. Tips for standing out in today's easy-to-get-noticed-but-hard-to-stand-out-in world. The future of online communities and a lot more. I mentioned that website, jeffbrown.me, a moment ago. That's also where you can go to register for free, sign up for free, to get access to a brand new book summary every single week. In fact, got a little excited yesterday and put four new summaries into the system. Not one, but but four. Actually, had several categories that we're looking to build out that had no summaries yet in them. Categories like leadership and communication and entrepreneurship. There was one other one. I can't remember off the top of my head what that was. And I just didn't like the fact that we had some categories that didn't have any summaries in them yet. So I just worked really hard to get at least one summary in each of those categories. We've also got categories like mindset, personal knowledge, management, productivity, habits, and more. In fact, many of those categories I just rattled off are are there because of the answers you gave in my recent listener reader survey. Those are the categories you said you wanted to learn about more than any others. So we've started with book summaries of books in those categories. Probably seven or eight summaries in there right now to get you started. But again, once you join at jeffbrown.me, it's free to join the community. You'll get instant access to not just those summaries, but the community. And so I've had some say, well, Jeff, why don't you just email a summary every week? Why do I have to go and sign up? I'm already on your, your email list. Well, I think that would be one way to do it, yes, and there are some who do it that way, but the ability to be able to interact with these summaries and actually do so within a community where you can talk about them, you can share ideas back and forth with other people who listen to the podcast, who enjoy uh, good books, or maybe who have purchased one of my courses in the past. If you want to rub elbows, if you want to surround yourself with other people who take personal and professional development as seriously as you do, then that's a great reason to jump in to the Read to Lead community. Again, at jeffbrown.me. One of my favorite all-time quotes comes from Charlie Tremendous Jones, who said, you will be the same person five years from now that you are today, except for the people that you meet and the books that you read. 
When you join the Read to Lead community, you are supercharging both of those categories. Not only the books you read, but the people that you meet. So check it out. I encourage you to do it. It's free. JeffBrown.me. Matt McWilliams started his first online business in 2001 at the age of 22 and today is one of the leading online business teachers. Since his first venture, he's discovered his true passion and that has allowed him to work and consult with more than 300,000 online business owners, including entrepreneurs such as Shark Tank's Kevin Harrington, Jeff Walker, Michael Hyatt, Brian Tracy, Claire Diaz, Ortiz, Tony Robbins, and more. Today, he's passionate about helping other small business owners and solopreneurs start the right online business, scale it, and eventually turn it into a full-time business. His new book is called Turn Your Passions into Profits, The Proven Path for a Rewarding Online Business. Well, Matt, I am excited to have you on. I've, I've known you for years, and I've had the privilege of having several friends who I've known for years who've got around to writing books which is a requirement, by the way, to be on the show. And, and so I'm glad you're one of them. I, I, I know it, it's something you've been wanting to do for a long, long time. I'm happy to say I also know how it feels, having had one yeah. come out a little over a year and a half ago. So congratulations and all the things that go with that. I hope it's a huge success for you and welcome officially to the Read to Lead podcast. Thank you, Jeff. It's uh, it's good to be here. I know we did this about a year and a half ago on uh, on my show for your book, and and that was uh you know that was one of those those episodes where I, I was between you and me, I was a little hesitant because I knew that my audience were already readers, mm-hmm. you know, and like, are they really gonna you know are they gonna get anything out of this? Like they already know <laughs> they need they already read. 40 books a year. What are they going to get out of it? And we heard so many good things about that episode. Just particularly the one that I I thought was really interesting was um, I had asked you for like, you know, just kind of like your tips on retention. Mm -hmm. And and I I do want to, because I give you credit. We've got an email going out two days from now. And part of this book, you know, turn your passions into profits. Part of what we included in that book came from that interview. We heard from so many people. They love the part where you, you shared just how to, you know, how to actually get more out of the book. Mm. And so we include exercises in the book. At the end mm. of each chapter, there are specific exercises you need to do. And I tell people in the email that's going out, like you need to keep a journal right mm. in the margins. You know, don't just highlight, don't just, you know, dog your pages. Like, no, write, like take what the author writes me. And then write what comes from that. And that was something that you said on that episode was like, you know, it's not just great quotes and going, Ooh, you know, that's the, that's the worst thing in the world. I hate, I hate hearing from people. Oh, loved your book. What'd you do with it? Oh, nothing. <laughs> like they don't say that, but I, you know, I haven't, I haven't like, you know, no, like what did you actually do from it? Like, those are the stories I want to hear. I want to hear the stories like the guy the other day was like, uh, well, we'll get into that. But like th- this one guy, I'll just share this. Like he, this guy is a seven figure business owner. He was like, man, I got the book, you know, seven figure. This is not meant for seven figure business owners. I thought this was meant for again, people who are looking to start an online business, you know? Mm. you know, he, I know what income he's doing. We're in a mastermind together. I know exactly what he makes. And he was like, I, he's like, so I read step four. He's like, I was going to skip over the first like five steps. Cause I kind of like, those are all beginner steps. And I was like, I read step four. And there's a story I tell about my dad that we'll probably talk about. And, and he was like, I, I went to my, my team and I re- we took all of our lead magnets, all the, th- you know, the things that we use to attract email subscribers. We redid them all. We followed all your rules. We redid four of them. in one day we said, like you say in the book, don't take more than three hours to make one of these. They don't have to be fancy. We redid them. Our opt-in rates went up 40%. Oh, wow. Like this is a 40% increase in revenue for a seven figure business from a beginner tip, you know? Right. And where does that come from? It comes from that interview that we did mm. where I talked about how to use what you're reading to actually implement it. So mm. thank you. 
That is <laughs> awesome. Wow, I'm getting chills just hearing you tell that. That's yeah. fantastic. And I have found, as I did interviews for my book and did talks for my book, that the questions kept coming back to note-taking and how do I take better notes and how do I mm-hmm. get better at, at, at taking other people's thoughts and ideas and making them my own or infusing them into my my thoughts and ideas and business. And, yeah. and so that is what uh, became the genesis for my new cohort, Note Making Mastery, and and that's taken off and done really well. And so it's uh, it's it's been a lot of fun since that time with you a year and a half ago. And I'm glad we're we're able to repeat it, but with yeah. with each of us on the opposite side of the mic this time. Well, you, you started in in one space many many moons ago, mm-hmm. but eventually you realized that I really belong elsewhere, and I identify a lot with this. Talk about the first 200 hours or so of, of <laughs> audio and video content that you created, and the transition that that followed. You know, funny story. I I don't write about this in the book. Actually, this is like the behind the scenes thing. I once had a podcast. It was called the World Changer Show. Uh, amazing guest, amazing impact. Mm. Probably got better guests than I ever could have imagined. You know, people like I was not supposed to be able to get these guests, right? Uh, but it, it was having a really big influence on people doing great on the podcast charts. And I'll never forget, we I had 99 episodes and my team wanted to do something to surprise me for episode 100. Uh, they, they got a bunch of people. I finally got to listen to these like a couple of years later. I found them in, in a Dropbox file. They got all of the past guests and then like my mom and some other relatives and my wife and, and my daughter. We didn't have a son at the time. And they recorded congratulations on your 100th wow. episode. Thank you for you know impacting the world. We love you, you know, that kind of stuff. We never released that episode. I'm probably the only person ever to stop a podcast after 99 episodes because I realized something. This is the fun, this is to answer your question. Um, is I thought my my passion, you know, the whole book is how to turn your passions into profits, right? Mm. I thought my passion was personal development. You know, we got to get clear on this. We got to know what the passion is if we're going to turn it into a business. We need to be crystal clear on that. I thought it was personal development. Mm. I thought I was going to be the next Tony Robbins. I thought that the only way that I could, I, I want to leave a dent in the universe, as Steve Jobs says, I want to impact the world. I, I, you know, the whole, it's called the world changer show, right? How do you change the world teaching online marketing? And that, that was kind of the thing. And people are coming to me going, and you know this about my business, Jeff, like we're working with all these amazing people. We've run affiliate programs for Shark Tank's Kevin Harrington, Michael Hyatt, Lewis Howes. We've run these big book launches for people like Jeff Goins and Brian Tracy. We've worked with, you know, uh, Rich Sheffer and Ryan Levesque, Stu McLaren, all these amazing people you know, authors and and thought leaders, just unbelievable client lists. And they're going, Matt, you got to teach people how to start an affiliate program and how to grow their business, how to build their email list. You got to teach people how to make money. And I go, I I don't want to be the affiliate guy. I don't want to be that. Like, what is that in the context of the world? What the heck is that? Like, no, no, no. There's people like curing disease. There's people that are, I'm what I'm doing right now with the world changer. I'm, I'm saving marriages. I'm, helping people be better leaders. I'm. I, there were people who wrote to me and, and said they were going to kill themselves and they didn't. Mm. Okay, that's changing the world. How am I going to do that as the affiliate guy? So I have a friend named Dana Abraham and Dana's in the parenting niche. And, and Dana was, uh, I was on the phone with her. We were just talking about business, you know, like, hey, sharing some business strategies. And she was like three weeks from launch. And, and I could tell in her voice, I'm like, Dana, do you need help with your affiliates? Like you sound really stressed about what's going on there. You don't have enough time. 
And she was like, yes, please. I was like, all right, I've got some time. I'll do it as a friend. You know, we're not going to sign a contract or anything. I'll just help you with your affiliate program. She went from $125,000 launch to over a $300,000 launch, Jeff. Mm-hmm. And I, I wasn't even barely able to do half of what we normally do. Like I only had three weeks and I'm walking down the stairs one night. And this thought hit me because when I help people grow like that, when I helped her, you know, almost triple her her revenue. When I helped her, one affiliate had a goal of five sales, did over 40. Another had done zero. The previous launch did 17. Their top affiliate more than doubled their sales. My first thought, because I have a heart for entrepreneurs. I'm an entrepreneur. I love entrepreneurs. I was born to be an entrepreneur. Uh, I didn't say I was a born entrepreneur. I just said I was born to be one. I could have, <laughs> by the way, it's a whole different thing. I could have said, no, 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 I'm not going to do what I was born to do and been something else. And I've done that and it didn't work. I'm utterly unemployable. <laughs> and so- <laughs> I helped all these entrepreneurs. My first thought is I helped entrepreneurs. Yay me. But did that really impact the world? Probably mm. not. And then as I was walking down the stairs one night, Jeff, we had had a really peaceful bedtime as you know, anybody with kids knows you got multiple kids. Bedtime's a crapshoot. Sometimes it's just lovely. <laughs> Sometimes the kids are yelling at each other. They're, they're They take 42 minutes to brush their teeth and get their jammies on. And then they still find a way to need to go to the bathroom for a third time. And, and they're, you know, they're hitting each other and it's stressful. And as a parent, I just want to get to the point where my wife and I have one hour to ourselves, but this bedtime was perfect. And I was walking down the stairs and I went, oh my gosh, Dana has a course called Calm the Chaos. It helps parents who are in chaotic situations. There are thousands of other parents having the same experience tonight because I taught some people affiliate marketing. The lesson there is don't dismiss that little thing that you think, what kind of an impact is that going to have? I help accountants. You know, (laughs) our client, Adam Lean, was like, Step seven of the book is all about being a champion or a hero. He's Mm. like, dude, I help accountants. How was that heroic? I said, you told me when we first talked that you help the average client work 10 to 20% less to make 10 to 20% more. Forget about the 10 to 20% more money, although that would be heroic in and of itself. Why don't you ask the kids whose dad is home, even during the busiest season, Mm. who doesn't miss a game? Why don't you ask the wife who gets to go on a date night once a week with her husband? (laughs) because he's working 10 hours less a week. Why don't you ask them if what you do is heroic? Mm. And that really is kind of the whole, you know, that's my story, but that's the ultimately ends up being the kind of the whole premise of the book. Let's talk specifically about some of the steps uh, that you outlined. And you, you hinted at one a moment ago. Uh, The first one being uh, clarifying who you help. I think a lot of people, uh, at least as I work with clients, I find a lot of people that say with starting a podcast, I've, I've helped numerous people, dozens, if not hundreds, launch a, a podcast. And oftentimes awesome. the desire is to want to put it out there and then six months from now, kind of figure out who they're reaching mm-hmm. and then adjust <laughs> at that point. I think a lot of people don't realize you get to decide who yeah. your audience is. It's not let me do this thing and see who shows up and then I'll know. Uh, talk about the need for intentionality here. I mean, the, the whole key in step one is to clarify who you help. The whole key there is to be intentional. Like you just said, you get to choose, like you get to choose your audience. Mm. You know, so let, look, look at this from a practical perspective. You know, I, I've got a, a lady I talked about in the book and, and she's a single mom of two autistic children. She wants to help people in the same situation. So immediately, if you don't have autistic children and that's 94, 5% of the population, you're not our audience. Even if they're a little bit on the spectrum, it's probably not for you. Like the, what the stuff she talks about is more for like literally autistic, not Asperger's or kind of like sort of maybe a little bit autistic. No, it's like autistic children, right? So that's immediately, you know, just doing the math from, uh, let's, let's look at the math on, well, 250 million adult Americans is my guess. I don't really know. Um, immediately 200. 
30 million of them are out the window. So her audience is only, you know, 15, 20 million people in the United States. Mm-hmm. Done. Then you look at it and she says she really wants to work with moms. Okay, that's half, you know, half the half of parents, by the way, are male. I don't know if you knew that. Um, <laughs> and so so immediately now we're down to 10 million. And you go, well, that's still a lot of people. You know, 10 million people is, you know, still, you know, a hundred times Neyland Stadium, you know, where University of Tennessee plays football. It's huge, mm-hmm. huge number of people. But we're getting pretty small. Okay, of those, she really wants to focus on single moms of autistic children. I don't know the math, but I'm gonna go half again. So now we're down to 5 million. And that's the whole thing. When we get intentional about this, we start niching down. And I write in the book, like you want to niche down to the point where it starts to get a little painful, but, but can I help all moms? Well, maybe, but we all know single moms have unique struggles. And the the further you, you niche down, the more you're, you're identifying or the more able your audience is to go, Oh my gosh, that's me. Right. Whereas it's like, you know, parents of autistic children, yeah, I've got an autistic child, but eh, there's a ton of people helping parents of autistic children. But when you go, okay, single moms with autistic children, oh my goodness, that is so me. That's mm. my go-to person. Who are you going to go to? The person who says I generalize in back pain or the person who says I generalize in this type of very specific back pain <laughs> that you are suffering from, mm. you're going to the second person. Yeah. You know, that's what we want to do in, in this step. And, and so I actually walk through three questions. You know, the first question is like, what is it that people have, are always asking you for help with? The second question is, what what is something that people say is really interesting about you? I know you know who Dan Carlin is, right? From Hardcore History. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, sorry, Jeff, it's my favorite podcast. All right. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, I, I'm a history buff. I love sure. history. So if there's a history podcast, I'm going to listen to it. And it's the best of the history podcasts. He's not a historian, but people said, it's really interesting how you tell these stories about history. Maybe you could do something with that. And then the third question is, what did you struggle with, but now you enjoy success at? And I write about, it's the longest story in the book. I write about my friend, Alan Thomas, who's a weight loss coach, uh, weighed 304 pounds. And then nine months later, weighed 175. He'd been overweight for 45, 50 years. And suddenly he found the way that worked for him. And so now he teaches people how to do the same thing. And so you walk, walk through those three questions, but you get intentional and you just kind of refine it and go, okay, here's who I help. Okay. What's the subset of the subset of the subset of the subset until <laughs> you can be the go-to person for that group of people. That's that first step. You alluded to being, uh, see, how did you say it? You, you, you're you weren't a born entrepreneur, but you were born to be one. I yeah. think is how you said it. In the book, you talk about your philosophy on leadership, kind of from the same perspective that there aren't <laughs> born leaders, but people yeah. born to be leaders, I think. Can, can you kind of expound on that a little bit? I, I said that I, I was born to be an entrepreneur just because I believe that was my calling. Mm. You know, and I, I mean, that's for my personal faith. You know, I'm not pushing that on anybody. I don't push it in the book. I, I do believe that I was called to be that, but I don't believe that I was necessarily born with, okay, I, I have all the skills and I don't have to develop any of them to be that. That's what I don't believe in. Right. I don't think there are born leaders. You know, I don't think there's any natural born leaders. Leadership is a choice. Leadership is, is, is intentionality, you know, like we just talked about. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of these misconceptions about leadership. We think that leadership says I've got to be, you know, we think we have to be the expert, like the world's leading expert on this one thing or, or whatever it is. We have to be so far ahead of our audience. And I just don't think that's true. You know, I think when you, when you talk to people about leadership and they're like, well, it's hard. I don't feel qualified. Great. That probably means you're going to be a great leader. Mm-hmm. When you think... Yeah, I'm qualified to be a leader. Like, I don't even think I'm qualified to be doing this interview right now, Jeff. 
you know, the imposter syndrome, right? I, right. Because have I done everything that every that other people have done? Of course not. Mm. Do I do I make as much money as everybody? And no, I don't. You know, am, am I the best leader? No, I'm not. <laughs> and I feel qualified to say, you know, here's what I've learned about it after 17 odd years of of doing this. Mm. And so it's understandable that we feel inadequate. That's normal. But we're qualified to lead because we choose to lead. That's all it is. Leadership is influence, is, is what John Maxwell says. That's it. Three words. If you can remember that, leadership is influence. Mm-hmm. And so I write in the book, like, there's an exercise I want people to do. Like, if you just imagine for a moment, okay, we think a leader is the guy who's two miles ahead of us. He's, you know, he's so far advanced that he knows all the steps on the path. Here's the problem with that sometimes. He's two miles ahead of us. And I talk about like, imagine you're on a hike with a friend, you know, like the super fit friend. So I've got this guy, there's a friend of mine that I've got, he's 60 some odd years old and he's still just ripped. (laughs) All right. He's been ripped since he was 12, you know? And it's like the friend who you don't have to ask him if he does CrossFit because he's told you six times this week already. He jogs in place at stoplights. You know, that friend who jogs in place and he wears bike shorts to a cookout, like no bike shorts and a tank top smells like suit mix all the time. This is the friend, right? You're on a hike with him and there's a particular hike. Every time I told this story, I always picture this one hike. It's in East Tennessee. You go up about two miles, you go along this ledge for two miles, and then you go, you hike down for two miles. And that two miles along the ledge, there are multiple places where if you take one wrong step, you're you're dead. You're going Mm. to die. There's no way to survive that thousand foot fall, or maybe it might be 2000 feet down to your death. And you're on this thing and your friend, the quote unquote leader is up two miles ahead (laughs) going, Hey, hurry up and watch out for Watch out for the what? What am I supposed to watch out for? <laughs> Leadership is not yelling at you from two miles ahead. You don't have to be two miles ahead. What do you have to be? You have to be one step ahead. Better place. One step ahead. Mm. Reaches back, grabs your hand and says, hey, watch out. This next step's tricky. That's leadership. We think we have to be so advanced. We have to have read 5,000 books and had 5,000, 10,000 hours of practice to be a leader. We don't. Mm. There's a reason why if you look at some of the best coaches, you ever look, go look at the list of coaches, like division one top coaches. There's some that were great college players. Josh Heupel at Tennessee comes to mind. Great college players. You ever look at like some of those and you go, Bill Belichick, he he went to like some obscure division seven school in Ohio that I can't even remember. You know, you look at these things, Skip Prosser, who was the basketball coach at Wake Forest, went to the Merchant Marines Academy or the Coast Guard Academy or something like How did they become great coaches? Because they realized they didn't have to be two miles ahead to be a great leader. Mm. And that's a that's a key mindset shift we've got to make. You know, I got stuck on this early on in my podcast journey. It's been nine and a half years now. And about six months into that journey, I started teaching people how to do it. Mm. And I was stuck on that. For, I had guys in a mastermind group saying, you should do this, you should do this. Yeah. And I was like, well, I, ha- I haven't been doing it for very long. But they're like, yeah, but you've had this success and this success <laughs> and 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 these things are clicking and and you know you have experiences that these other people teaching it don't have. Eventually, uh, within a few weeks, I started having people that I didn't know, not people in my mastermind, but complete strangers, ask me, "Hey, if if you did this, I would buy it." And it's funny how how that works. It's just like when we're kids and our parents tell us something, we ignore it, but then a friend says the same thing, and it's like the gospel. My mastermind <laughs> friends were trying to tell me you need to do this, but it didn't click until complete strangers said. Yeah, we need to do this, but they weren't concerned that I had only been doing it for six months. They just liked how I did it and wanted to learn from me. It didn't matter mm-hmm. that I was only a few months ahead of them, like like you're saying. Yeah, and that that's the whole thing is like Alan, you know, Alan Thomas 
had had lost the weight and was basically coaching on this stuff a year later. Mm. Who's better to learn from? And this there's so many of his students and his his clients said, Alan, the reason why I signed up with you was because everybody else that coaches this stuff is somebody who's been, they've always been in shape. They're that super fit friend, right? You know, <laughs> jogs in place at stoplights. And, and like that's who like that, they're trying to coach me on how to how to get in shape. And he's like, I can't relate to them. You were the guy. You'd been overweight for 40 years. I've been overweight for 40 years. I want to learn from somebody who can relate to me. And so relatability is often much more critical than expertise. And that's a key mindset mm-hmm. shift that we have to make. If we're going to put ourselves in this position to, you know, to be a leader mm-hmm. and to be a thought leader, you know, one of the things we have to do, we got to stop comparing ourselves to others too. John Acuff, I know, you know, John, uh, mm-hmm. they're in the, part of the, the middle Tennessee mafia, you know, um, <laughs> you know, it, I quote him in the book says, never compare your beginning to someone else's middle. We, we do that though. Like we don't see the behind the scenes, you know, Stephen Furtick says the reason why we struggle with insecurity is because we compare our behind the scenes to everyone else's highlight reels. Mm. You don't see like, even in my business, I'll talk about it now, but you don't see the fact that I'm only five or six years removed from being the guy who was beating my head on the table because I couldn't make my funnel page look like I wanted it to. And it didn't look like Michael Hyatt's by gosh, you know, and, and look at all these other people who are, they, they've been at it for 15 years. I'd been at it for four. Mm. Of course, their stuff was more polished than mine. Of course, their videos are better. They've got a team of 25. You know what I was doing when I did my first launch? I had a team of four. I was doing the video editing, which meant that one Sunday morning when the video was going live at 5 p.m. that day, Sunday morning at 4 a.m., I sat right here where I'm standing right now in the same place, sobbing because I'd lost all the video files when I tried to export the video. I don't go post that on social media. Hey, look at my business. No, what did (laughs) I post? I post the finished product because we were able to re-get all the videos about about just in time. And that video finished exporting at like 4.30, due at five o'clock, right? What did I post? Here's my new video. Look at it, how amazing it is. (laughs) What you don't see is that I spent 60 hours on that thing. I spent so many nights. I didn't get much sleep for weeks. I don't post that on social media. Mm. So you see the highlight reels of everybody's stuff, not the behind the scenes, but we all have the behind the scenes. That's the thing. Mm. You know, this chapter on uh, leadership called Commit to Leading, we've touched on some of it. Uh, You talk about fear being a sign of, of greatness. What do you mean when you say that? That's not me. That's Stephen Pressfield. Um, and I, yeah, I quote him in the book. So he says, true, that fear, true. <laughs> fear is it. Well, I think I say it's a sign of greatness, but you know, he says that fear, it's an indicator is what mm. he says. Fear is an indicator. Fear tells us what we have to do. Uh, he and also Eleanor Roosevelt kind of said the same thing. You know, she says, we must do the thing that we can't, we think we cannot do. Mm. I, I talk about like, you know, stop running from fear and start running to it. And I'm not talking about, okay, fear of heights. I don't think you need to go skydiving if you have a fear of heights. I really don't. Unless you are genuinely afraid to even climb up like the, you know, the second flight of a, you know, on stairs. Uh, if you, if you are crippled to the point where you can't go to the third floor of a hotel that I don't I mean, and that's not the kind of fear I'm talking about. I'm talking about the kind of fear that says I'm not the expert. Uh, I can't do this because it's not going to go well. And I, I failed once. And if I do this, people might say negative things about me. Like all those things that we talked about earlier, the, the things that hold us back from being a leader, the problem with those things, this is a mental shift here. The problem with those things are focused on me. Mm. None of my negative thoughts about leadership are focused on my avatar, on the people that I serve. Mm. They're focused on me. It's hard. I'm not qualified. They think I'm qualified. Mm-hmm. You know, this is like the mindset shift that I had to make about eight years ago was, oh my gosh, you know, I had a pretty small list at the time, pretty small email list, you know, four or 5,000 people, four or 5,000 people 
is roughly the size of the average Division One basketball game crowd. It's actually a little bit smaller than that. It's like 3,500 people. So the average Division I NCAA basketball arena times 25% more. Trust me enough to follow me, to mm. subscribe to my email list. They see me as a leader. They see me as the expert. That can be a really hard thing to wrap your head around, though. There are thousands, maybe millions of people that are waiting for you. That The famous quote, when the teacher is willing... Or when the student is willing, the teacher will appear. Mm -hmm. They're willing for you. They are waiting for you. The only question is, are you going to appear for them? Are you going to be their leader? And and so, yeah, the whole concept of, you know, just like not seeing yourself as that leader and running toward the fear. We stayed in a hotel suite many years ago and they had one of those, it was like the 67th floor and they had the glass deck where you go out and stand on it and you can look down. I'm not doing that. (laughs) (laughs) like that i don't have any desire to get over that fear i am Mm. not doing that Mm. but as far as like the fear where we're just scared of what people are going to say about us or scared of failure no run to it because that's Mm. usually the thing that that fear is saying this is the thing that you must do you're talking about capturing attention in the Mm. next step and you make a distinction between getting or waiting for attention and capturing attention. Why do you why do you think that distinction is such an important one to make? Well, it's important because in 2023, it's never been easier to get noticed. Mm. It's never been easier in the entire course of human history to get noticed. The correlation to that, if you can imagine a, you know, one of those graphs, right? The line running parallel to that is difficulty in standing out. Mm. Ease of getting noticed correlates perfectly with difficulty in standing out. You go back 150 years, you know, like civil war times, right? It was impossible for anybody outside of like your county to know who the heck you were if you weren't a national politician. Nobody knew who you were, famous, like an author or an inventor. You had to invent something that we still study in U.S. history today for anybody outside of a 20 mile radius to even know who the heck you were. You go post something on Twitter now. 50 people, I'm not saying thousands, I'm not saying you're going to go viral, but 50 people will at least see your tweet relatively quickly. Mm. And maybe if five of them share it with 50 other people, now all of a sudden you have 250 people seeing it, 300 people seeing it, a thousand people seeing it. You can be a complete nobody. You had to be like the president of the United States or Alexander Hamilton or Thomas Jefferson type people for anybody to know who you were 200 years ago. Anybody can be famous now for at least 15 minutes and get noticed, but standing out because that's, I mean, it's never been harder. You got millions of people who can get noticed by 50 people. You know what that means? Well, what we've all heard, 3,000 marketing messages a day that we're exposed to. Some say 5,000. Yeah. Good luck standing out in that. So I actually walk through in the book, in that chapter, how do we actually stand out? How do we actually stand out? And the number one way, I'll just share this, Jeff, like the number one way I told the story of Chris Rock and Chris had come off stage and somebody said, Chris, like, you know, if you know Chris Rock, the comedian, he's like really lively and really animated. And they're like, are you like this all the time? And he's like, no. (laughs) He said, on stage, I'm me, but I'm three times me. Mm. So what does that mean? It means like you take the things that are uniquely you. Think Zig Ziglar with his accent. To this day, I I don't think it was a fake accent. He's from Yazoo City, Mississippi. He's going to sound like he sounded. But I know for a fact he played it up a little bit. And his stories leaned into that perception because nobody else sounded like him. And Mm. nobody else was from Yazoo City, Mississippi. And even the name Yazoo City sounds like a bunch of yahoos. (laughs) You know, it sounds like some crazy rednecks from Mississippi. And so he he leaned into that, even though it's actually like three other famous people from Yazoo City, Mississippi. It's kind of weird. But like he leaned into that and he used 
the fact that he's from Mississippi to his advantage. It stands out. You think Sylvester Stallone? What's the when when you when I say Sylvester Stallone? What's the iconic line? Uh, well, I think uh, when I hear Stallone is is Yo Adrian. Is Yo Adrian, <laughs> right? You would not remember that line if he'd said it like you just said it. <laughs> right. I'll be back, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and the yeah. Dominator. You know, he's like, I'm going to be governor of California. That line would not have stood out if you or I had said it. Why? We don't have a yeah. unique accent. Now, there's other ways we can stand out. But you think about that thing when he came from Austria. That accent, that heavy. I, I, he was like, he said, if I didn't do the Dominator, I'd still be in the Alps yodeling. You know, <laughs> he would. He saw it as a disadvantage, but he turned it into an advantage. Stallone was paralyzed in the left side of his face by forceps when he was coming out of the womb. If he hadn't have had that slur because of the paralysis, we wouldn't remember that line today. He might not have been a famous actor. Those were ways for them to stand out. And there's tons of ways. I'll walk you through all of them, but there are tons of ways to stand out. And that's the thing is we've got to make a concerted effort, though. Intentionality. We keep coming back to that word to stand out. You talked a bit about an email list and you devote a chapter to the importance of turning visitors into into subscribers. Uh, Do you believe that email is going to continue to be the dominant communication medium between solopreneurs and customers for the foreseeable future? What about you yeah. know, things like texting and, and, and that sort of thing? Here's a fun exercise. Go back, go to Google, type in email marketing is dead. And you can go to the little settings thing and you can say, show me results from January 1st to December 31st, 2002. Mm-hmm. And then keep doing that same thing every year. <laughs> Let's find email. Email marketing is dead. Email marketing is dead. Email marketing is dead. There's thousands of results. Okay. Eventually, maybe... At some point, they'll be right. But if somebody's been wrong about something for 21 consecutive years, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it ain't happening anytime soon. Mm. You know, like speaking of Zig, he used to say, you know, economists have successfully predicted 22 of the last two recessions. They've done the same thing. It's not, it's not gone down. It's not gone down. The numbers, we keep hearing this. The numbers don't lie. It, it, the numbers don't lie. It's still the number one uh, mode of communication. It's still the most intimate mode of communication because we're connecting in their inbox, not just blasting people with it. We're guaranteed to be seen. You know, like Facebook only shows you two, 3% of anything that your followers or that your people you follow post. Yeah. Every email at least gets delivered. Uh, you can segment your messaging. That's a huge advantage because mm-hmm. I can say, hey, I've got people on my list who are beginning a business. They're six-figure business owners and they're seven-figure business owners. And I can communicate to them differently and pitch them different things. And, and another big thing is I can allow them to opt out of specific campaigns. You know, I can say, hey, if you don't want to hear any more about this thing that I'm offering, just click here. You don't have to unsubscribe. Just click here. And I won't tell you any more about this thing. And then the last big advantage is that you own the connection. Facebook, LinkedIn, I love them. Not LinkedIn so much. They banned me earlier this year. Long story. Um, <laughs> you know, And so I didn't do anything. They're just being stupid. But you know, Facebook, LinkedIn, there's a great example. I had 5,000, 6,000 connections on LinkedIn. Now, a little tip, you can download your email addresses every, you know, and I did that once a month. So I still kept the connections, but you own the connection with email versus renting it from those social media platforms. And so it's it's going to be the biggest. It's, it is the biggest. It still is. And it's going to be the biggest, at least for the next 20 years, uh, in my opinion. Well, I've, I've begun to get more serious about community uh, lately, mm-hmm. building a community around my podcast, this podcast, my courses, giving those that follow me the chance to interact with and, and get to know one another in the presence of, of my brand. Uh, where do you stand on the future of, of online communities specifically? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's such, it's such a huge part now because 10, 12 years ago, we didn't have as much ability to connect within a community. Like you had the leader of the community. You had 
Matt McWilliams is the, the mattmcwilliams.com. Like he's the leader. Right. And then we all just kind of followed him and we did it in our own separate lane. There's a quote from, from our client, my friend, Stu McLaren. He says, people come for the content, but stay for the community. The content it reaches a point. It's not to say that it's it's in, in a year, but at some point it begins to you kind of outlived your your stay, you know, with with just the content itself. We need the community, we need the connections, we need the cheers. You know, if you think about cheers, the show cheers, right? Where everybody knows your name and they're always glad you came. Do they really have better beer? than any other bar in Boston? No. My friend Brian, you know, he was a he's a Reds fan, Cincinnati Reds fan. He grew up in the 70s going to the Reds games and they were they were good. You know, like Johnny Bench and, and Pete Rose and the, like uh Joe Morgan, Frank Robinson like they won back-to-back World Series, all these things. Over the years though, they they were really bad for like 30 years. But he and his family kept going back, same seats, even in the new ballpark. They kept going back. They kept going back. They kept going back. These families all sat together. They intermarried. They they helped each other out. They attended each other's bar mitzvahs and all those things, right? Uh, most of them were Jewish. It was kind of I- ironic how they just happened to all be Jewish <laughs> sitting in the same area. Daughters and sons were marrying each other. And they kept going to these Reds games for 40 years. And they still go to this day. You know, he's been going since the mid fifties, almost 47 years since he was a kid. And I mean, they've been going all those years. Why did they keep going? Even though the product on the field sucked (laughs) for years, they went for the community. It was a gathering place for them. And so if you can do that for your audience, those are the type of things. If you can build a culture, if you can, you know, if you can be able to draw them in and, and do things like connect them with each other. And, and yes, you're still the leader, but you're ultimately being the leader for the community. That's the differentiation there. As someone who grew up in the the 70s, spending that time in Indianapolis, which did not have a professional baseball team, I remember the Cincinnati Reds in that era quite fondly. That was that was the team that I was I was pulling for when it came to you know, baseball. Uh, I got a couple of questions I want to ask, or at least one in particular, uh, not directly related to your book, Matt. Before I do that, uh, what have, what have we not talked about that you want to make sure that that people know? There's one thing I talked about in the creating raving fans where you have to get clear on your role. Um, so I talk about like, how do we actually create raving fans? I share 10 ways. The first one is getting clear in your role. So I just want people, you know, if you get the book, great. You can go through these. If you don't, I still want you to write them down now because your role as leader is probably the most important thing, that clarity on your role. So I talked about earlier, like you got to get clear on who you help. You have to get clear on how you help them. How What is your role in helping them? And there's seven roles there. The first is the master maestro. So the master maestro, this is the seasoned veteran you are leading, I want you to write these down, authority, power, and prestige. Those are where you're leading from. So like Gandalf from Lord of the Rings, <laughs> Yoda and Star Wars, right? The second one is the hesitant hero. So the hesitant hero is like Spider-Man or Frodo. They didn't ask for this, but they like they've got the humble origin story. They're just leading from a place of awe and wonder. That's another these are all great places to lead from by the way. The third one is the jolly journeyman. So the jolly journeyman like they're that one step ahead, right? They're only that's all they are. They're not pretending to be one step ahead. They really are just one step ahead. They're sharing what they learn as they go along. So they're helping their audience go from A to B, then they're learning B and helping them go to C, mm-hmm. you know, and so on and so forth. So Harry Potter or Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz are great examples. The eager enthusiast. So this is number four. This is number four role, the eager enthusiast. So this is uh, Luke Skywalker is a great example of this. Like they're going to run through a brick wall. Tarzan is another one. They are just leading with passion and enthusiasm because they got nothing else. You know, they don't even know what kind of power they have. The fifth one is the venerable visionary. So this is Steve Jobs in real life. Willy Wonka. 
uh, from from fiction would probably be a good example. Innovation, creativity, wonder is what they're leading with. The sixth one is the revolutionary rebel. Okay, so the revolutionary rebel, this is the person they're just mad as hell at the status quo and they're not going to take it anymore, right? So that's where they're leading from. So uh, Katniss Everdeen from The Hunger Games, uh, Ferris Bueller, it's kind of a mm. funny example, <laughs> Indiana Jones, that's where they're leading from. And then the last one is the cordial caregiver. So the cordial caregiver is Mary Poppins, Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? They're leading with love and generosity and they want to protect their audience. Mm. It doesn't, this is the thing. It doesn't matter which one you pick. You just stick to it. You cannot bounce around. Okay. You cannot be the revolutionary rebel one day. It just, I'm mad and I'm going to lead from this position and then go, oh, but I'm going to lead from a place of love the next. You mm. cannot go from master maestro to hesitant hero. You can't, you can't, are you Gandalf or are you Frodo? Those are very different things. You can't be Willy Wonka one day and then be like super serious the next. Mm. You can't lead from different places. You pick one and that's where you leave. It can evolve over time. You just can't bounce around. 17 years ago, I led from the place of kind of the jolly journeyman, right? I, I, I was leading from that place of like, you know, Harry Potter, like I learned this yesterday and here's how you do it. You know, if you've ever read the Harry Potter books, that's basically what he does. He learns stuff and he's not an expert. He mm. doesn't know anything. Hermione knows 10 times more than him. You mm. know, And so then he goes, wait, I learned this. Let's try it. And we'll, I'll teach you what I learned yesterday. That's where I led from for about five years. Then as it became more of an expert, I started leading from more of a place of that master maestro position where I'm like, no, I'm an expert and I'm going to mm. lead from that. So pick a role, stick to it. That's the key. Yeah. I want to know what have been some of the most impactful books that sh- that you've read? What are some that, that stand out in your mind as, as having a huge influence on you? Anything, anything come to mind? I mean, influence by Robert Cialdini is the first mm-hmm. one that always comes to mind. Uh, the book's foundational to everything I do, you know, persuasion and, and marketing. Uh, that's one that comes to mind. Um, it's going to sound weird. There's a book called Extraordinary Golf that my mm-hmm. dad handed to me back when I was like 16 or 17 and I didn't get it. And I don't even play golf anymore. I haven't played golf in eight years. But my dad was a golf instructor. I share his story in the book. And you know, he passed away in 2005. And for some reason, I picked this book up about four years ago. And it didn't really have an impact when I read it. So this is one of those things like I talked about earlier. We connect the dots later, right? Mm-hmm. Jeff, I had this weird thought a while ago. We were going through these phases in our company where we do great. We'd hit new milestones, you know, paying ourselves ridiculous amounts of money, teams doing great, profits are amazing, the bank account's higher than it's ever been. And then eight months later, we'd be right back where we were eight months before. Like bank accounts getting lower, my wife's starting to freak out. We, I'd go do something stupid, like let's go buy a company. And we'd go buy a company that we didn't need. And, <laughs> and then like, let's go hire extra people that we don't need and payroll, you know, let's double payroll. Why was I doing that? Like, what was the, what was the reason for that? And I connected the dots between two books, Extraordinary Golf and The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. In The Big Leap, he talks about upper limiting. You know, things are going well. So what do we do? We get sick. Mm. Life is going well. Relationships are going well. So what do we do? We sabotage the relationship. Many people listening understand like maybe subconsciously, but they, they can relate to, they thrive in conflict. So when life's going great with your wife, three weeks, no arguments. What do you do? You start one. <laughs> Dumbest reason ever. Mm. You'll start one. You'll find a reason to be unhappy when you're too happy. You'll find a reason to get sick when you're healthy. You'll find a reason to do all kinds of stuff that can completely screw up your life 
that's upper limiting. We, we are not, our thermostat is saying you cannot be comfortable at this level. You have to either lower or raise the heat. And it's like, wow, I feel great. My temperature is perfect. Let's put on a hoodie. You, you were perfectly comfortable. And what are you going to do when you put on the hoodie? Now you have to go lower the thermostat. You have to go outside where it's cold, you know, whatever the case may be. We think about that. The second book, like I said, was Extraordinary Golf. And, and there is this line in there where he talks about the golfers, the, 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 the culture of golfers is that there has to be something wrong. We have to be fixing something. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, that's what I did when I played golf. But how does that relate to me in 2022, 2021, 2023? And I realized one day, oh my gosh, that's the other thing is I have to be fixing something. When I operate, when I'm most enthusiastic about my business is when my wife is freaking out because the bank account's getting lower mm. and we have a common mission to fight for. And so what do we do? We band together and we rally the troops and we, yes. And then we get to that point where on the mountaintop, well, what do I need to do? I need to create chaos again. Mm. So the question for the last 18 months for me has been, how do we actually get to that mountaintop and then just find a new mountain without having to go through the valleys? And it's okay if you go through a little bit of a valley, but not to the point where you're freaking your wife out and she's losing sleep. You know, that's not leadership, right? Mm. And so I I realized that, that I have a culture internally of upper limiting and of saying, no, there's things are going too great. I've got to find something to fix. And it came from those two books. So kind of weird. I know. And like probably (laughs) hadn't had a lot of people talking about extraordinary golf as a great business book, Uh, but (laughs) it's arguably had the biggest impact on me of of any book along with uh, the big leap. I love uh, the big leap. Uh, That's one of my favorites. Great book. Yeah. As we're recording this, the book is not yet out, but when this publishes, uh, the book will be out. On launch day, yeah. On launch day, <laughs> January the 10th, uh, and then we celebrate my birthday the next day. So it's Matt's Happy celebration birthday. on the 10th, my celebration on the 11th. I noticed in the materials you sent to me, I don't know if this will still be valid, but there's a uh, link, passionsintoprofitsbook.com slash Jeff Brown. Yep. Is that still applicable today? That is, yeah. So you can get the book anywhere. Uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, Target, Walmart. If they sell books, they uh, can go. There's a small book. They, we just found out they ordered four books the other day in a tiny bookshop in Hamilton, Ontario. So even in Canada, you can get the book. Um <laughs> I heard about this place. It's called Canadia. Uh, <laughs> even yeah, but even in a small bookstore in Hamilton, Ontario, you can get the book. So uh, it'll it'll be in bookstores. It'll it's online. You can get it anywhere. But if you go to that URL that Jeff just mentioned, passionsintoprofitsbook.com forward slash Jeff Brown, uh, we got tons of extra special bonuses there. Uh, over you know four five hundred dollars worth of total bonuses that you can that you can only get there. So uh, for your you know your listeners, because I know you guys are readers, so uh, <laughs> that's, right. that's the big thing. I don't want like I really don't. Um, it sounds weird. I don't just want book sales. I want people to to take the book and internalize it. That's why, that's why I have the exercises because at the end of each chapter you have to do the exercises. Don't just read the book. I don't want to hear from you. Matt, there's a great book. No, I want to hear from you, Matt. I've been stuck on chapter three for a month because I've been doing everything you say in chapter three, Matt, I'm on chapter five and I've spent six weeks on chapter end of chapter five and you moved on to chapter six. Awesome. Mm. Take six months to go through book. I don't care. You know, it'll be, it's not going anywhere. That's right. Um, that's number one. The number two thing is there's declarations throughout the book. These are internal mindset shifts that you have to make. You need to say them out loud. Okay. Oh, don't be that weirdo in a coffee shop shouting out. I run an online business and businesses make money. You know, I will lead my tribe. No, don't be the weirdo in the coffee shop doing that. Get in your car and say it, say it in the morning, but actually say those things out loud. End of chapter two on leadership. This is probably my favorite page in the book, leadership commitment. All right. Mm. It is an entire page. You are going to fill it out and sign and date it. You've now made a commitment to lead your audience. 
Don't do it if you're not ready. I'd rather you hesitate on that and wait a day and then go, you know what? I'm ready to do this. When you fill that out, I recommend downloading it, not doing it in the book, although you can do either one. Fill it out, put it somewhere where you can see it every day. Mm. That's your commitment that you made to lead your audience. And here's what that'll do. When you wake up in the morning, kind of like I did this morning, I was up late last night. I had a hard time sleeping for some reason and I didn't get a great night's sleep. And I roll out of bed, seven o'clock going, I just want to go back to bed. I'm tired. I only gotten five and a half hours of sleep. And I went, nope, somebody needs me today. No, I don't know who it is, but somebody needs me today. If I don't roll out of bed right now, I'm going to miss out on helping somebody. So get up, Sparky. (laughs) And I did. The book again is called Turn Your Passions into Profits, The Proven Path for a Rewarding Online Business. He's very good at what he does. I've seen it firsthand on numerous occasions. I can can vouch for him. Be sure and check it out. Go to passionsintoprofitsbook.com forward slash Jeff Brown. Did I get that right? You did. Matt, thank you so much for being on the show. Really enjoyed having you and uh, wish you nothing but huge success with this book. Thanks for having me, Jeff. It was great. Let me give you that again so you can make me look good in Matt's eyes. Passionsintoprofitsbook.com slash Jeff Brown. That's passionsintoprofitsbook.com slash Jeff Brown. I'm looking at the site now. If you're hearing this on January 10th, 2023, if I'm not mistaken, you have until midnight tonight to order the book and get access to about $800 in in bonuses. Again, that's passionsintoprofitsbook.com slash Jeff Brown. A couple of other resources to let you know about. Matt mentioned some great books. You'll find those and a summary of this episode at my podcast website. That's readtoleadpodcast.com slash 457 for episode 457. And lastly, if you want to get access to a new business book summary each and every week for free, be sure to sign up at jeffbrown.me. Currently, there are categories like personal knowledge management, leadership, habits, mindset, productivity, entrepreneurship, and communication. And as we're just getting started, there is at least one book summary already in each and every one of those categories. And again, adding new ones every single week. JeffBrown.me. It was my intention to wish my wife a happy birthday during last week's episode, which was released on her birthday, a milestone birthday, I might add. I won't say the number, but I will say that recently she's begun getting mail from AARP. We'll put it that way. We both have January birthdays. My birthday is this week, in fact. If you celebrate a birthday this week or this month, happy birthday. Well, tell you what. If you celebrate a birthday this year, happy birthday to you, too. Thanks for listening. Hope to see you next time. Until then, as always, remember, leaders read and readers lead. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.